You're listening to the Sans Pants Network. Home of comedy, <laughs> culture, <laughs> adventures, and ghosts. Kubrickmas and of course a happy cruise year baby you're listening to Total Reboot the only podcast on the internet that has the greatest ambition of them all to discuss the finest art that has ever been created by man and beast alike that is the fine art of cinema my name is Alexi Toliopoulos and joining me in my discussion on film as always is my dearest friend and closest chum Cameron James that's true I am a part of this show as well and at the moment, we're discussing Christmas with the Crooks, yes. a.k.a. Christmas crime movies. And today, we are joined by a guest, an actor who's so good at acting that it should bloody well be a crime. <laughs> <laughs> Liv Houston is here, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Oh my God, take me away, boys. Yes, wow. we better lock you up, throw away the key. You're very good. I'm a big fan. In fact, uh, the first time I met you, I played it very cool. And then mm-hmm. later I messaged you and said, guess what? I'm a big Santa Clarita diet fan. Yeah, that's true. I had that such a good true. time. That is true. Love Santa Clarita diet. Watch it on Netflix. And I'm currently watching Yellow Jackets, which you're in as well. And I'm fucking I loving am. that as well. Thank you. I, I, I'm only allowed to be in television shows where people get eaten. <laughs> That's the rule. We love a strict contract. The more specific, the better. So let me ask then, did, was there cannibalism in, uh, back in Very Small Business? Is that a subplot that I missed? Imagine, imagine if I said yes. Imagine if, there, imagine if there was and there actually was and you went back and looked and like it's, it's us in an office and Wayne Hope's eating an arm. Wow, okay, you've just sold a couple of DVD box sets this Christmas season. People are going back in very small business once again. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I would be remiss, Liv, if I didn't ask you about working with maybe the director Cam and I have discussed most in our history of talking movies together. Ooh. We are humongous <clears throat> fans of Austin Powers. In fact, right now, I'm looking at like seven different types of Austin Powers memorabilia in front of me. One for every day of the and week. <laughs> yes, of course. I've got a beautiful action figure on a Monday and then a key ring coming up on a Tuesday. <laughs> but um, you worked with the great Jay Roach, the director of those movies, on a fantastic film from a couple of years ago called Bombshell. I did. What is the guy actually like IRL? He's so kind. He's like a very sweet, soft-spoken, like gentle, smart man. He's lovely. I really liked working with him. Well, did he ever mention Mike Myers? I don't remember. I, I wish I could say that he did, but I don't, I, I've never, I've never heard him say like a bad word about anybody. Anytime he brings wow. somebody up, he's always like, yeah, no, that was really lovely. Like, it's just, he's a sweetie. He was on, uh, I think he was on WTF around the time that Bombshell was coming out. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I realized I'd never heard Jay Roach speak before. And I left it being like, I reckon I'd be buddies with that guy. If I, if I met that guy, I reckon I'd be buddies with him. Very, very easy to be friendly with. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God damn it. I love and really, really interested in uh, other people's input in everything. Wow. Always like whenever we would come in to block a scene for Bombshell and he would be like, okay, so here's what we're thinking, but what do you guys think? And it's just like, um, I don't, uh, I guess I'll sit on this okay. chair over well, here. I'll Jay do what Roach, you said, like, whatever, thanks. whatever you think. <laughs> <laughs> but really, really open, really interested in working with people. That's, That's so, so good. exciting to hear, especially with a film like that where there's such a humongous like ensemble cast totally. of some of the biggest actors. To have like that collaborative nature, just it's so exciting to hear about stuff like that. It was a completely egoless environment. It was awesome. Also, I'm maybe I'm like the most basic human being on the planet, but I just like hearing that uh, famous people are nice. Sure, yeah. I'm, yeah. So, I'm so used to hearing that they're assholes. I so know. Any, anytime I hear that there's a nice one, I go, oh, that's good. I'm glad they're doing well. Yeah, it is lovely to hear. Because we've been talking about Christmas movies, mm-hmm. because it is the season to Tis be merry mm. at all times, what are... 
what's in your stable of Christmas movies that you find yourself returning to every year? Oh, so I, I'm from like a The Muppet Christmas Carol household. <sighs> Wow. Um, I watch it every year. Love I love it. Yeah, okay, but here's the, do, have you found a version of it where the song is still there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Which song? Okay, so this this is like a cinematic injustice that my mom mm-hmm. and I still get furious about, like every year. There is, in, in the original release of A Muppet Christmas Carol, there is a song that um, Scrooge's love interest sings to mm-hmm. him when he's still a young man. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's she's singing to him about like... Um, like there isn't any love in you anymore. Yeah. I don't know who you oh, are. You're cold. I can't scene. be with you. Yeah, in the breakup scene, she sings a whole song to him. And at wow. the very end of the film, the song that Scrooge sings mm-hmm. at the Christmas table is a reprise of the yeah. song she sang to him halfway through. And it's like it's like the emotional thesis statement of the movie. And it got cut in all subsequent releases of A Muppet Christmas Carol because some idiot at Disney decided that because it was a love song, it was like boring and kids wouldn't care about it. Uh, and it, it makes me so upset. Like I get really righteous about it every time I think about sucks. it. That sucks. Cause I it love sucks. that little, uh, that moment at the end when Scrooge starts singing and it's a melody that's always stuck in my head, but I've never known why. And now yes. I'm realizing it's probably cause when I was a kid, I saw the original version. And the lyric she sings is the love has flown. And at the end of the film, he sings the love we found. Like, yeah, it's like, oh, we, fi- we that's it. Like, but they cut mm. the thing he's referencing. So it doesn't thematically hold up as well as it did before. It's one of the great actual, like, alternate reality things that exist in this world. Where it's yeah. like, yeah, everyone remembers this thing. And uh, I believe, I've been researching this, this thing very much this week. And apparently there's a new 4K restoration underway of A Muppet's Christmas Carol to be released next year that will once again reinstate that song. Oh, good. Oh, actually, my I have to tell my mom. She's going to be really happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome because that actor doesn't really get to do a hell of a lot in the current cut. And it is like so unfair for so many reasons, but it's also just like as an actor, selfishly, it's unfair to her. Totally. It's totally unfair to her. She's like, hey, I'm going to show up and then like deliver the core message of this film. And that's my purpose here. And then they're like, <laughs> yeah. okay, sweetheart, At but least we don't they think kids care me. about yeah. kissing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sucks. so cruel to just be like, you've put in this beautiful performance of this like really beautiful song that's been treasured by generations. And then you get cut and have less scenes than freaking Ratso the Rat. Yeah, oh I mean, to be fair, the rat is so, so good, though. He falls in the barrel and he becomes yeah, an icicle. Turns it's into great. an icicle. It's but when I was a kid, great. I enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed, mm-hmm. like, the actual emotional journey that Scrooge went on. Because what the fuck are we doing here? Like, put the song exactly. back in. Yeah, that's Children true. can contain multitudes, okay? Yeah. We don't just like the little puppet. We like everything. It is such a mistake. When I was a kid, my we used to watch um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory all the time. And mm. my brother's hated the song cheer up charlie and they would always try to skip through cheer up charlie and i would always be going no 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 we need to hear it we need to know the stakes we need to know that the bucket family are all invested in this fucking you're right you're right you you structurally need it in the movie and it's like when you're a kid and you're figuring out how you feel about emotional sincerity sure maybe there is some discomfort with it but that's teaching you something like that's part of the job of children's media is to like teach kids how to engage with those feelings and that's what why we're talking about eyes wide shut uh yeah today. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very important children's text <laughs> holy shit i can't believe we just we started talking about muppets christmas carols so in depth <laughs> and then i just remember we're talking about this Little oh, it's complete other sex film. flick. <laughs> well, I mean, just like those, it is about learning how to have feelings for the first time. For some that's people. true. So you know, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. all ties in together. And, you know, it's in a, in a way, Tom Cruise is visited by you know three spirits. Just <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> sex. <instead of laughs> I'm always looking for the Scroogean uh, reading of every Christmas film, and this one mm. I was looking for the three spirits. I always mm-hmm. am, but. They're the same spirit every time. It's just yeah. horny. The horny spirit. Mm-hmm. Horny, oh. sadness, and of course, feeling depressed about yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Alienation. So, so Liv, you'd, um, you'd never seen this film before. Never. I had never seen it. It's one of those movies where I was like, oh, yeah, I, I meant to for 10 mm. years. Mm. But yeah, me too. didn't until today. 
I'm about the same as you. It's It had been on the list and I'd always known it was one of those things that I would eventually watch. But mm. I think to some degree I'd, I'd written it off and I think that might be due to the fact that it was kind of almost a cultural punchline for a while mm. there. Oh, yeah, sure. In the 90s and the 2000s and we knew that it was tied to Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's divorce and right and also I think uh, I've said this before on the podcast as well that my feelings towards Stanley Kubrick have largely been like meh um yeah. whatever really? Interesting. yeah yeah it's really rude to say that on a film podcast it is Cam. it is no I like it it's the, transgressive it's the edge that I bring <laughs> <laughs> but uh but I've come around to him a lot in recent years. And anyway, I finally watched this fucking movie two days ago. Alexi, had you seen it before? I had only seen it one time before. And it basically exactly the same thing you say, Cam, where Kubrick, I have a strange relationship to his movies where there's some that I think are like the greatest works of art. And then there's most that I could not really care too much about at all. Um, and... I think as well, like, this one just didn't really sing anything to me to, like, check it out. But then, eventually, I did when I first moved out of home a couple of years ago, and it was a Christmas evening. Not Christmas Eve. That's why I added an extra syllable at the end. It was around <laughs> Christmas time. Like, I can't and lie. Like, <laughs> exactly. I cannot embellish this story at all. I have to be honest. It is going on the record after all. It was just a and Christmas evening. It was a Christmas-ish evening. Maybe it had been Not early even December. December. <laughs> if I'm really thinking about it, it could be very early December. But let me tell you this. This is the most important detail. The tree was up. This was the first Christmas tree in my first apartment out of home. And I had the lights oh. up blazing mm-hmm. so the lights were on it felt like an immersive experience watching this movie and it was an evening my partner was out of the house oh, okay. they're wandering around they're doing things i don't know we're two separate people much like the thematics of this movie yeah i was gonna say and <laughs> i decided to put this movie on and i was enraptured by it i was snapped up by it i remember texting my partner go hang out take extra time i need time to figure stuff out before you get home <laughs> So it's fair to say you you were moved by this goddamn movie. I was taken on the Odyssey. And not the Space Odyssey. Mm. The, the Cruise Odyssey. The, I was taken on the Cruise. I was <laughs> taken on the Cruise. <laughs> well, I reckon we should just dive into it. Clearly, we all have some feelings that we need to unpack and we're being a little coy at the moment. Let's, we love let's the dive in. We're a couple of koi fish diving in, baby. <laughs> oh, I hope the water's warm. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's warm, but we can't say why. <laughs> Look, women don't. They basically just don't think like that. Millions of years of evolution, right? Men have to stick it in every place they can, but for women, women, it is just about security and commitment and whatever the fuck else. A little oversimplified, Alice, but yes, something like that. If you men only knew. I'll tell you what I do know is you got a little stone tonight. You've been trying to pick a fight with me and now you're trying to make me jealous. You've never been jealous about me, have you? No, I haven't. And why haven't you ever been jealous about me? Well, I don't know, Alice. Maybe because you're my wife and I know you would never be unfaithful to me. You are very very sure of yourself, aren't you? No. I'm sure of you. Do you think that's funny? Eyes Wide Shut by Stanley Kubrick. Now, Liv, this is, it is my absolute joy and privilege to present this segment to you. This is one of our more famous segments. Um... People go crazy for it on the internet. People mm-hmm. are talking about it. You've probably heard people talking about it in LA. You no, they know? don't shut up about it, honestly. It's like, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. It's worse than when Quibi came out. I know. <laughs> it's exactly like that. So, <laughs> so this segment is called Love That Logline. It's, mm-hmm. gr- it's a great segment where Alexi will find a synopsis from somewhere on the internet for this film. He'll read it out to you and I, and we will decide whether we rate it or mm-hmm. hate it. Mm-hmm. Okay, very exciting stuff. I can't wait. 
I put my feelers out there all over the internet this time. There were some fascinating ideas I found, including one from one of the best film critics in the world, Bilga Abiri, saying that Eyes Wide Shut was It's a Wonderful Life for Perverts. But ah. the one that I have found, I went back to my favorite snopping ground, which is the user-submitted synopses from <laughs> IMDb. And this is one that was submitted anonymously. No one has claimed this one. And I I had to share it. I had to share it with you guys. Here it is. Stanley Kubrick's final motion picture, which speculates on a doctor's discovery of his own health. The doctor wanders around the streets of New York City after his wife tells him that she had a recent erotic encounter with an alternative partner. (laughs) His wife's revelation gives him simple ideas about freedom and betrayal. Well, that didn't happen, did it? That's not that's not what happened in the film. <laughs> that's a slightly different movie. Yeah, but, but this, I reckon it's one of the worst ones I've ever found. This logline d- does do something important, though, which does reinforce that Bill is a doctor, which Bill yes. would really appreciate this user having They done. understood that. I mean, like, that is probably the most repeated line in the movie. <laughs> he says he's a doctor like 12,000 times. Let me flash my <laughs> medical license like it's a police badge. I have some things to say about that, but... I'll save it. I'll save it for later. Um, for now, I just want to say that uh, I I do not rate that logline, and no. and it is no slight on the wonderful people at Anonymous who submitted that. And I hope that they <laughs> they don't attack me or steal my identity. But I I think it was poorly written and mm-hmm. poorly thought out. I rate it not. Mm. <laughs> we won't say we hate it. We just didn't rate it. It's not rated. Yeah, not not mm. at this time of year. We won't go as far to say we hate it. <laughs> but I think what fascinates me about that logline so much is it completely ignores what I think is genuinely interesting and fascinating about this movie is that I think it is this weird and bizarre extrapolation of taking the everyday difficulties of marriage and like what it is to be two people that inhabit the same life and share each other's life while having two separate existences Mm -hmm. that are just close together and extrapolating that into like this mythological odyssey and this logline just ignores that completely and that's why I'm like I love a literal reading of something like that a literal reading that also describes events that did not take place <laughs> it's like she 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 didn't she didn't have an affair like yeah, she, it's, it's she, quite central she, that's the whole point actually but is nothing she, happened nothing mm. happened she just thought about it you know yeah but hey uh you brought up a good point there which is you know about the the marriage and the struggles of two people together and like we can't really discuss that idea without discussing the two actors cast as the married couple in this, Tom and Nicole, the Tom and Nick of it all. The Tom um, and Nick of it all. What do we think of these two? I mean, at the time, I believe that they were kind of derided or at very least they weren't critically appraised for their performances in this film. How do you how do you think it stands by 2021? Um, I think they both do a really good job. I think they're too young. That's a great uh, point. Because I, and I kept an ear out for it because when I started watching the movie, I was like, wait, how old are they supposed to be? And then at mm. one point, um, Bill tells his friend that they've been married for nine years and their daughter is seven. I assumed that was supposed to be mid-30s. Um, mm. Well, the story reads like it's about people who are that old, right? Yeah. That seems like it makes sense. I think you're 100% right. I think it's very smart to cast a, an actual power couple that are considered sex symbols in this in the central role, but I, I think I buy Nicole more. Mm-hmm. But Tom, uh, Tom Cruise, I want to put on record and say I think he's a tremendous actor. I think he's a wonderful movie star, and usually I believe him when he plays any profession on screen. I believe him as a fucking spy. Mm-hmm. I believe him as a air force pilot. Um, I don't know if I believe him as a doctor. Ever. I'm a doctor. I don't think I buy it. And I think it's because I don't think Tom, he reads as a lot of things. I don't mm. think he reads as intelligent. Or oh, my God. In, I don't think he reads as intelligent enough to have done a fucking medical degree. He did that, that montage where he's examining patients. He doesn't, he doesn't do it especially confidently, I would say. 
It's not, it's not like, okay, breathe in. You know? <laughs> Are you looking forward to Christmas? I Holding think a child's like, door. He's, he's, he's great. And he brings, what he brings to the screen, I, I love. But I was watching this movie thinking, like, if they cast um, an actor that's a bit more stiff up a lip or more like stern mm. or, you know, someone like Denzel or Bill Hurt or something, I might, I maybe would buy the doctor thing more. But with Tom Cruise, I look at him and I just think, come on, man, you're too cocky and charismatic and is sort there of an, silly. Is there an element of like, you're a, nah, you're a movie star? What do you yeah, mean? Yeah, I think that's it. That maybe it? he should have just played a movie star in this. <laughs> yeah, that would, I think that would have solved it. We yeah. need more I, movies about people who work <laughs> in movies. <laughs> I think it's like when you think about Tom Cruise, the profession that comes to mind for me, apart from movie star, is lawyer. Like he plays great lawyers and legal professionals, mm. where I think it's more about like m- either manipulation mm. or talking or like embodying his like boldness of charisma. But like with the doctor, there's something interesting about casting him as a doctor where it's more about like it's interesting to have like an a guy who is so powerful in his being and that to not come out as empathy to come out as intensity and casting him as a doctor who should be someone who should be a caring figure and this movie is basically like uh, a complete journey into like the selfishness of some person's mind he is deeply well, the character not tom cruise but like he, this character is like really ambivalent mm. for so much of this film in like weird ways oh, like weird sexual ways like yeah. his job is literally seeing women naked for the most part is what i assume his job as a doctor is <laughs> it doesn't seeing, really say what kind me. of doctor he is does yeah. it like no. the first patient that he checks in on is like a beautiful topless woman. The second one, a dying old man. It's like okay, I don't know what kind of doctor this guy. <laughs> he's like is. he's a guy, mm. but, <laughs> cons- but consistently, it's like he'll come across somebody in danger and sort of like not seem to mind. Mm. You know, it's, Truly. it's it's possible for him to just float through the things he's seeing. There's a sort of there's a ambivalence to him. It's so interesting, like, casting these two because Kubrick, this was a dream project of him since, like, the 60s. Was it really? And his wife basically forbid him from making it. She was like, no, don't make this weird movie about marriage. So don't on. do it. She was okay with him making Lolita, but she was she had a problem with this one. <laughs> I can excuse Lolita, but yeah. I draw the line <laughs> and I switch shut. <laughs> you can excuse uh, Lolita? <laughs> She liked it, I think. She thinks it's cool and funny. <laughs> so he'd been trying to make it for a while, and then she like finally goes, okay, you got the go-ahead. And he wanted to always cast a real-life couple mm. in ah. the roles. <clears throat> Originally, he was thinking Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. Oof. That's a different movie, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very different film. <laughs> I don't think it works. I think it works less with them. I would say so. I like them both. There's something fascinating about Nicole and Tom where they like completely like there's so much written about how they surrender themselves to him. And like basically like there's all these like oral histories and accounts about them just basically like falling at the feet of Kubrick and just being like, yeah, we'll do whatever you want and completely submitting to them. And this is like 10 years into Tom Cruise saying, I only want to work with the great auteurs. And Mm. he basically... Uh, really has he like much Scorsese, Spielberg, um, other uh, uh, directors like Brian De Palma. Um, I don't want to say any more examples off the top of my head, <laughs> but this is like right in there where he's like, This is one of the last great guys from a classic era, and he like completely submitted to the experience. And I found this great quote from Christine Kubrick, the director's widow, about their relationship. She says, Nicole and Tom spent lots of time here during the shoot. We remained very close. The film had an impact on their relationship because to enact those roles, they had to analyze and dissect them. And because Stanley could have been their grandfather, they confided in him. A strong relationship of trust grew up between them. Stanley believed in them both and they trusting him gave him everything they had to give. Stanley told me he was touched because he felt that not... He felt that, not content simply to take off their clothes, they tore off their skin, bearing their souls completely. Man. Yeah. I, I, I also read that this film, 
holds like the Guinness World Record for like longest consecutive shoot. Mm. Mm, like yeah. they shot this movie for like two years in yeah, a yeah. in a row. Like it that was endless. That experience would have been incredibly intense. And, I mean, uh, Peter I Jackson mean, made Lord of the Rings in the same amount of time. One yeah. of the uh, one of the fucking urban legends. I don't know how much truth there is to it, but I think it's largely true. Is that they lived in the apartment or the set that was their character's apartment as well. Oh, so no they just spent two years Lord living boy. in this set. And kind of being their characters, I think that there's something. Uh, I go back and forth on this whole like method actor, method filmmaker thing. When <clears throat> I think that there's something admirable about giving yourself over to the art you're creating, but mm-hmm. I also a, another maybe louder part of me says just fucking turn it off and go home. I reckon. Yeah. And maybe being nice to your cast, and maybe like just mm-hmm. at the end of every shoot day go okay guys enough pretend let's all go and get a fucking pizza and talk normal (laughs) and like be be tom and nicole again please and for me too it's like it it changes depending on whether what someone is describing is is punishing or not because there's the fun version of that which is like the cast of the grand budapest hotel staying in the hotel while they were filming like that's that's, that's fun that's cool right but like living through like the psychosexual torment of this fictional marriage in that apartment for two years. Yeah. I'm like, well, this strikes me as unnecessary. It doesn't seem fair. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end of the day, Kubrick just gets to, well, he, d- he did die, but he doesn't really get long. to do anything, but <laughs> in theory, he literally died. He literally yeah. died before the movie came out. <laughs> But in theory and in the past, he just gets to walk away and his actors get to live with the scars that they've created or that he's helped them create. Um, Well, is there no greater walking away, Cam? Than just going, oh, well, clocking off. (laughs) Clocking off the planet. Oh, God. (laughs) Anyway, good stuff, though. Good stuff. I think that to a degree, I think it's worth it Sometimes I think there's a lot in this movie that I really enjoyed and it it's different to what I thought it was because for my entire life, I had just assumed that this was largely going to be a, an erotic movie or it was mm-hmm. going to be like whatever it's called, Last Tango in Paris or something mm. where it was just mm-hmm. sex scene after sex scene. And I mean, there's a little bit of sex scene stuff. There's a little bit of nudity, but for the most part, it's... It's tonally different. It's much more, uh, I mean, depressing is the word that comes to mind, but it's not even depressing. It's just, it's heavy in a way that I wasn't expecting it to be. It's like slow and steady. It's, it is heavy. You feel things weighing on you and weighing on the people in it. And it's, um, it's like dreamlike. It's quite disjointed. Mm. It's. Which I liked actually. I really, Mm -hmm. I think I really clicked into gear with it when I realized that it wasn't quite reality. It was sort yes. of a allegorical dreamlike state. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, Liv, we watched 2001 A Space Odyssey and I think mm-hmm. we've both seen it a lot in the past. And But this time was the time that I'd really clicked into gear with the type of storytelling that Kubrick does, which is you can analyze it as much as you want. You'll never get an answer and yes. that's okay. The point is... It's they're like poems. It's like you mm. read it and you can read it differently every time and you can choose to read into it or you can just look at the surface mm, and, and enjoy, I love the, that enjoy shit. the pretty that's, pictures. That's my favorite. It's yeah, actually absolutely. watching watching this, because this is the first time I've sat down and watched a Kubrick film in a while. I was like, Oh, this the things that I enjoy about this are the things that I enjoy about David Lynch films. Yes. It's like, ah, oh, I'm just gonna let this happen to me. Yeah. Fantastic. I feel the same way. I think Lynch is such a good like one-two comparison to this because so much of this movie is in the same realm as David Lynch where there is like this Douglas Sirkian uh, homage of melodrama, like mm-hmm. the classic melodramas of like marriage, 
uh, when you go back to like as it is in heaven. Oh, sorry, all the heaven allows, <clears throat> and that kind of stuff. Like where there's these scenes, like just in the home where it's the family apartment, yeah. and it's just bathed in blue light. Like mm. that feels like such like mm. that melodrama being heightened, where the reality of the film around them, the surrealness of the film, is just heightened to this degree where everything's happening is kind of naturalistic, yet the performances it's are big. weird. Yeah. Everything's big. The colors are strange. Mm-hmm. And I think Nicole Kidman is like proper sublime in this movie. She's so good it's, in this. It, she's one of my all time favorite actors. Oh, yeah. Uh, just, she's phenomenal. And I think in this film, it's just the way that she has these monologues that are oh describing God. fantasies and interwoven with reality when she's just describing them to her husband. And it's usually just like this one long sustained shot. And she goes through this multitude of expressions and emotions of like sarcasm to fantasizing, to sincere, to sad, to angry. Mm. It's, I don't even know how they do it. Yeah, sometimes watching her, it's like this. There's something very theatrical about it. Like you could see this happening on stage. Um, yeah, and yeah. she's really, really strong. And so, so much of the job she has in this film is to just describe how she's feeling, mm. like yeah. Yeah. as opposed to like you know performing action or like responding to action. You barely see her outside of their apartment. Mm. Only in a few scenes do you see her outside of where they live, and it's just. The stuff that she's doing is physically so small, or it's like, well, you, you're talking about a dream you had, but what she's able to do with that is massive. It's great. Oh, totally. I kept thinking as I was watching it, imagine getting those pages and looking at the script and as an actor and thinking, okay, I get two long monologues, but they're both me describing dreams. Mm-hmm. And like, I have to be stoned. That's already mm-hmm. a hard thing to like mm. do realistically. And I'm also flitting between being flirty and aggressive. I just kept thinking, fuck, that would have taken so much work for her to nail that. And then to combine that with the fact that Kubrick would have probably made them do 60 takes. 500,000 times. Jesus Christ. (sighs) Very impressive. Very, she's, yeah, she's fucking amazing in this. And the interplay between them is bizarre to me. Like, it's so interwoven, like, with, the kind of like mythological aspects of this movie that really strike me when I watched it again. Like there's so much time where we meet Nicole's character and she is uh, like either drinking or weirdly urinating a lot in the first half of the movie, which is just something I don't really understand what's going on there, but there's (laughs) something there. That's going to be my Kubrick documentary. I'm just trying to figure out why does she pee a lot? What's with the pissing Stanley? What's with the piss scenes? (laughs) <laughs> but where she's like feels like she's changed outfit a bunch of times and we see her like in this like nude from behind shot where we see like her naked back and Tom Cruise uh, she like asks Tom Cruise like what do you think do I look good in this he doesn't even look at her he's like yeah you look perfect and there's so much that feels so like Greek mythology of like almost she's like a Medusa and turns him into stone at certain points the way this feels shot that I just kind of I'm always. I feel like I'm marveling at this movie the more I think about it. And Nicole Kidman's back does get a lot of play. In yeah, this very her, back, her back gets a lot of screen time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mythological stuff. Uh, I love. I would love to talk about this shit. The Illuminati of it all. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Fucking yeah. loved it. Didn't realize that's where we were going with this film. I, I guess I just avoided the entire discourse about this movie my whole life. I knew that there was a masked orgy thing going on, but I, I just, I guess I'd never considered that it would be tied into this whole like wealthy elite upper echelon mm. um, Rothschilds type thing. Yeah, stop inquiring or we will make life very difficult yes. for you. Yes, and I, I think I, I really, that was the moment, actually the moment where he gets to the masquerade ball, which is like an hour into the movie and there's, it is truly you know, halfway through the film. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're halfway there. I, I checked the time. I went, how long have we got left? And I saw we had like nearly an hour and a half left. And I, for the first time in my life, probably said, thank God. I was like, I'm so glad that there's more to go. I'm mm. so happy that I get to live in this, whatever this is going to be for the next little while. Um, 
that type of shit is so up my fucking alley. I'm obs- I just <laughs> love that the like weird little cults, and I like the idea of, I guess. The, the rich elites having this sinister evil side that no one's really talking about and and that yet this movie gets made about it I mean do you think uh, do you think we're supposed to view this as a like kind of lifestyle porn or are we supposed to view it as kind of like a, a satire of rich people and uh, and cults and Illuminati and stuff like that. What I was left with at the end feeling was like, oh, this is a movie about a guy who's who's in over his head and like mm. and can't hack it. Like can't is see mm. cl- glimpses something through a door frame and can't handle it and like and then leaves. Yeah. So for me it was like the the people we see are something you're not supposed to understand but not supposed to be able to handle either it's like well who are they it's like well you can't handle it like he can't handle it so you don't get Mm. to find out you know so for me it was more about the function of what that means for him rather than what what we're supposed to wonder about who those people actually are so does that do you think that that means then that this is being it's largely being critical of that type of lifestyle or that type of um i don't know well, I don't know. I, well, I think I think when we tell stories like that, it's like it's imagining like like sexed up evil, right? Being mm-hmm. like, and and the you know the imagery of that is really compelling. There's something in our brains that really likes digging around with that in that with a shovel. But it, you know, uh, evil's very boring in real life. It's it's very banal. It's very mundane. Like sex scandals that do happen are like people sexting really clumsily and like mm. yeah, true. Performing quite regular abuses of power that are seen mm. throughout any any class on the planet. So it's like it is it is intriguing for us to imagine that it is more complicated or more lavish than that. But the re- the reason it's intriguing is because there is no answer to be found, really. Mm. I think it's like this interesting intersection of class and how to how one presents oneself and like mm-hmm. the way that one plays with that idea of how you present your class. And the a way that intersects with marriage and like how marriage is like this social construct and how you present when you are married. Because mm-hmm. it's like when he, one of the first people we meet in the film is this character, Nick Nightingale, who is an old med school colleague of Tom Cruise's character. And he dropped out of med school. And the way that Tom Cruise talks about this guy dropping out is like this guy dropped out of freaking high society yeah, this guy dropped yeah. out of life to become a simple piano player playing christmas parties and stuff yeah and he like looks down upon that and then he realizes that there's this entire upper class that he doesn't understand Above it's like him. this wicker man like folk it, it, horror it type world that he like feels this temptation to enter and i think that's what i find most fascinating about this movie is like this guy is so inept and his sexuality is so strange where it's like horny, but in this way where he can't like break through the horny. And this whole thing is like this <laughs> fucking crazy odyssey into temptation where he doesn't even do anything. I think you're really onto something there with the class stuff too, because it's like those mm. th- those people also look down on the piano player. Yeah. And, and they look down on Tom Cruise for like sneaking in on his recommendation, <clears throat> like with his yeah. password, with the password we gave the help. And, you know, yeah. like, even at the very beginning, they're at a Christmas party of their wealthy friends. Mm. Like, we're, like, we meet these characters in a rich environment. They live in a really rich part of New York City. And yeah. the times that this film talks about and, and shows sex work and sex workers, there's, like, mm. a real elephant in the room that's class the whole time. And, that's like, how, how people are treated on the basis of that, you know? Yeah, that's very true. I I, I love this reading of it. I think that that's unlocking it even more a little bit for me. That it is sort of like an analysis of the power dynamics of of the different levels of class, even within the upper echelons. Mm. Like there's there's lower class people within the rich fucking people. It's like that succession line. Like having six million dollars just makes you the world's poorest rich man or whatever. Yeah, and you, you physically see money a bunch of times, like him tearing mm. the $50 note in half to give to the taxi driver. And it's like the fact that he took a taxi mm. is a big deal. It's like, oh, you, you're the man who came in a cab. Your driver's mm-hmm. waiting for you. That's how we knew you didn't belong here is because you came in a taxi. 
You know, it's like he he goes upstairs with the sex worker he meets on the street and he goes out of his way to pay her even though he has to leave. Yeah. That's something that we linger on. It's like, this guy doesn't even own his own cape and mask. These are clearly (laughs) rentals that he's coming here with. (laughs) Do you reckon that's why everyone... I was trying to think, like, because one of my favourite moments in this film is when he first arrives to the masquerade thing and it's so fucking tense and scary and everyone looks amazing in their Mm. costumes and the music is fucking out of this world like it's oh, that weird Beautiful. backwards gregorian chant that's going Loved on it. that just repeats and everyone keeps turning slowly in their masks and looking at tom's character as if they recognize him mm-hmm. which is so scary to me that he's mm. masked but people still see him and then a, a little while into it, I was like, maybe they just recognize him because it's clearly like a cheaper mask and cape than this. Because <laughs> he's yeah. just rented it from the fucking creep from Snatch. Who's this dickhead? <laughs> <laughs> I love that costume store as well because it's like oh every God. costume store I've ever been in is utter garbage. Like, <laughs> you know, you buy, you, like every costume looks like trash. You're like, oh, I want to go dressed up as a gangster like Al Capone. And then it's like, yeah, here's some striped pajamas for you to wear that are made out of like a see-through hessian. The and most then... flammable material you've ever seen <laughs> in your life. And we've got like a fat texture that you can use as like a nice cigar for it. And he goes to this place, every costume looks like it's fucking at like the, like MoMA or something, like an art gallery. (laughs) The Rainbow Costume Boutique. Many questions. Yes. Well, exactly. Should we talk about that scene then? Or both scenes there? Um, Mm. Because that's like a little, another little microcosm of the movie, but it's totally Mm. uh, unrelated to the main plot, I guess. But it's the same thing happening again, right? I guess this this movie just shows cycles of like sexuality and subterfuge and violence, and kind of power all always as well. Power, power yeah, power, never without power dynamics at play that are really entrenched. Yeah, right. exactly that because that's a father daughter yes. combination there too. Yeah, it surely is. And it's like this. What I find fascinating about this movie is it kind of it obviously reminds me a lot of Scorsese's After Hours in that it's like an odyssey through the nighttime nocturnal nightmare that is New York and like the underbelly and someone who doesn't belong in that underbelly sinking down into it and or rising up to like another like crime ridden dystopian hidden from the rest of the world that only exists at nighttime. Mm. And I think with this film it really captures like that Odyssey-like feeling of like each time he goes to a new place, it's a small segmented story. Like there's segments to this movie that feel like they each explore a facet of Tom Cruise's character's sexual ineptness or his weird proclivities or his lack of proclivities even and his, his sexual lack of panics. sexuality <clears throat> yeah his panics that's exactly it dude yeah, like that's hang-ups. what it is which, his weird hang-ups which was like the moment that was clearest was when he he is a victim of homophobic street harassment um mm, and then oh, yeah, in, and then not 20 seconds later propositioned and taken upstairs <laughs> to have sex with somebody like yeah. That's the same scene. But it's just yeah, like, oh, this true. this is a guy who is really tightly wound and really scared. So and- do you think that perhaps um he's challenged by his wife's like stoned recollection of being horny for a, a guy she saw one time and it makes him think I should have my own sexual desires and I don't? Do you think that's what's going on in his head a little bit there? I think he's rattled by that. I it I think he's also rattled in general that like she cuz she prods him about himself as well mm. in that initial confrontation. It's like, well, when you're squeezing those tits, like you mm. don't ever get, you don't ever get interested and you don't think those women are ever interested in you. Like you don't even mm. think about it. Like it's not it's not only that she's fantasized about somebody else and he's insecure about that, but also that like she's challenged him on his ideas about sexuality foundationally. Yes. You know, like, what do you, you, you don't think women, blah, blah, blah. Like, you think you, blah, blah, blah. Like, you're an idiot. She speaks to him like he's and a fool. And I kind of like, I kind of believe him when he's saying, I actually don't think about that when I'm at work. Mm. Yeah. I am yeah. a doctor and these women think that I'm going to find cancer in their breasts or something. Like, it's yeah. not on our yeah. minds. But then I think maybe that, that inspires him to go, well, I'm going to prove to myself that I am a horny guy. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just yeah, fucking, I think so. I think it's a guy wandering the orgies. It's a guy wandering around New York City, going, "I'm normal. I'm yeah. so normal. I'm, I'm a normal amount look, of horny all the time. I'm, yeah, I'm going to talk fuck this, heaps. <laughs> I'm going to go to the orgy. I'm going to do. I'm going to do all the normal stuff that horny guys do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that that's what's interesting about the movie to me, which is that it's like on some level, it's sort of like a, if not a satire, it's at least like a criticism of class and wealth and the elites and these sort of cabals that are allegedly on the outsides of that kind of world. But at the same time, it's a very sincere study of intimacy and sexuality within marriage and within yourself. And that's interesting to me. And I really like it, but I also think that's why this movie is fucking weird as hell and doesn't maybe doesn't quite work all the time. Yeah, and what I keep coming back to is like the times where it's about sexual ambivalence and carelessness, like the the carelessness with which the women that we see like used by these wealthy people, like for you know, I'm thinking in particular of at the mm. beginning where he's summoned mm. upstairs because yeah. a woman that um, his wealthy friend has slept with has overdosed, and 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 neither of them. Uh, care about her all that much it's like oh well you know like keep her here an hour and make sure somebody takes her home and his wealthy friend is like an hour like fuck I have to keep her here for an hour and that's at the very beginning of the film then Mm. like the carelessness with which the woman who died after the orgy is spoken about it's like she was a junkie she OD like nothing people die that happens like Mm. nobody did anything and um you know when he comes back to be with his wife again He's actually upset about what's happened. And he's the only person in the film who ever is at the Mm. very end. When the two of them are like taking their daughter out Christmas shopping and they are visibly like upset and shaken by the events he's described. They're the only people who are, you know. Yeah. I think that matters. I mean, the ending of the film, now that we've sort of wound our way there, where they have that discussion in the toy store, um, in Duncan's toy chest from Home Alone 2, which um, <laughs> is where I imagine it's set in the same universe. In Yeah, the daughter's going to collect a couple of turtle doves at the counter any second. <laughs> um, do, do you think, and I guess this is redundant to almost even ask for an almost literal reading of this movie, but do you think that Nicole's character was aware of all this stuff beforehand or was a part of it in some way in the past and that's why her dreams have been so vivid and sexual and about cloaked people that she's having an orgy with do you think this is something that she's aware of that hadn't occurred to me. I didn't realize she brought up cloaks. I knew that she had brought up she like said people. Some, she watching says something them. like everyone's dressed in black and they're all watching me and I'm right. fucking hundreds of people or whatever. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't made that connection on my own. I don't think I would have either. It didn't occur to me that she was involved in any way. Again, I don't know if it's necessary to even understand. You just need to know that on some psychic level, they're both connected to this trauma. <laughs> And, and they're and they're like they're wrestling with similar things. Mm, yeah, and they're trying to they're just trying to like get through it and live in the moment with each other. I guess that's the final thing they say to each other. I d- mm. I did think it was very funny that like Nicole Kidman's character says I forget the exact words she uses, but she's like the the dreams we've had and like we should be grateful for what we have now. It's mm. like we're awake now, and mm. it really that dialogue to me really felt like she was saying like. Of course, me having a sex dream is as troubling as those the things that have happened to you in the past 48 hours. These yeah. things are as bad. Uh, like, I don't think Me they having are. a sexual fantasy is as bad as you going to an orgy and seeing a man on all fours with a woman on his back and then a man having sex with that woman as that man is humiliated down the bottom. Nicole, a woman died. Like, I think yeah. you having a sex dream is, is okay. <laughs> That's a moral failing. I kind of wish that's how the movie ended. That's what marriage is like, man. I wish she said that. I wish she was like, dude, I just had a fucking sex dream. I didn't say go to an orgy, you freak. Yeah, it's and and you know, it's it's fine for me to have fantasies. It's (laughs) not the end of the world. (laughs) I have got to turn a light on. The sun has gone down. It's it's been very fun to watch as we've just (laughs) dove into the depths of this movie. Movie. Your camera you slowly, has slowly become pitch dark. I'll be right back. All right. <laughs>
<laughs> oh my god. Well, that's actually not that better, is it? It's, it's slightly. It's better. It's better. It's slightly. Yeah, we love it. All right. Well, look. Now that we've reached the uh, dark depths of this film and the dark depths of Liv's webcam, I think it's time that we move on to our very famous topics. Our very, sorry, our famous, very famous segments of this yes. film. Uh, Liv, we give out a beautiful thing on this podcast called an Oscar, Ooh. aka an Academy Award. Because oh, yeah. tell me more. Yeah, we've been given the power um, by the Academy <laughs> to give out Oscars on this podcast. Because they didn't get everything all along the way over the last 100 years. There's a well, few you, things missing that we've got to give out. You can't get it all. There's too many no. things are made. And that's why, that's why we exist, to give out the ones that were missed. And we love to give out an Oscar to a character actor who gives a great performance that maybe was never recognised at the time. Uh, in this film, there's quite a few performers mm. that I would like to shout out. Um, yes. First one I want to give a little quick shout out to is the voice of Kate Blanchett. Yeah, as uh, as the lady at the end of the orgy who sacrifices the this woman. Yeah, that's Kate Blanchett. Did you not know this? Okay. Uh uh-uh. uh. What? It's huh? not. It's not her physically. It's no. um. Yeah. It's a, a a model and dancer who was working with like the ensemble at the orgy, but uh, I read this in a, like an oral history of Eyes Wide Shut. They wanted to dub over her because she didn't have an American accent, and they wanted those mm. characters to have an American accent. And um, oh. apparently it was. Nicole Kidman who suggested Kate Blanchett. Oh. Yeah. Of course, if you need an American accent, who do you go to? Kate Blanchett. <laughs> you got to get an Aussie. <laughs> yeah. you got to get an Aussie in there. You do yeah, a very good just... American accent, Liv. It's, um, Thank you. Can you give us a taste right now? Slip into that yank <laughs> accent for us. What What should I say? Anything, anything, maybe offer to sacrifice yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I am ready to redeem him. There we go. Oh, That's, wow. stuff. That's, That's the good. perfect Cape Blanchett stuff. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Does anyone else have another actor they'd like to shout out in this uh, segment? Oh, God, so many. There are so many people who did a good job here. I think the guy who played Mr. Millich was really good. Who, He's um, the rainbow. The, the, yeah. Yeah. The costume yeah. store. That guy, I only know him from, I think he's in the movie Snatch or something. Um, yeah. I don't know him from anything else, but he's stuck in my head over the years. What an interesting fucking dude. There he yeah. is. I've got, I've got, what's his name, Cam? Uh, I couldn't begin to pronounce it's, it. Yeah, Ray Arade. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, there's uh, no way Sebedia. in hell I've got that but right. But he's also there's in no Mission Impossible 2. I know mm-hmm. him from that. So he's Tom Cruise's best friend, I must gather from this information. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's two that I absolutely love. I love that one short scene that's basically mm. one long shot with Alan Cumming as a guy that works at Alan uh, Cumming. Uh, love that. At a hotel. Oh, I just think that's <laughs> one of the most exciting performances in the movie. Like how he's kind of like Kubrick taps into all of the impish qualities of Alan Cumming for this this small role of him kind of like feels like he knows a little bit more of what's going on and he's someone that's part of like the enticing hidden nature of the world because he's not upset awesome he's not upset by he's like yeah Yeah. he had a bruise on his face and then he tried to hand me a note but they wouldn't let him and he's not upset by any of it interesting choice isn't it excited by it all like it's fascinating uh but the one that i think deserves the oscar one of the all-time greatest character actors in my opinion is mr sydney pollock who plays uh, mm. One of the clients of Tom Cruise, who is, as we find out, part of this cabal as well. He's hanging out at the orgies. I love thinking of Sidney Pollock as an orgy guy. That makes me excited. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's awesome that Sidney Pollock's an orgy guy in this movie. Um, he's one of my favorites. I've always loved him. And he's a, one of the great directors as well and great director and friend to actors. Um, I love Three Days of the Condor, one of my favorite movies, and Tootsie, I think he's like a proper comedy masterpiece, and he's also, he plays the agent in Tootsie. I love Sidney Pollock, and I love that he gets his rocks off a couple of times in this movie. (laughs) He certainly does, doesn't he? (laughs) My favorite favorite, uh, shot of someone standing in front of a painting in recent memory. 
Oh. It's awesome when you see Sidney Pollock just topless, shirtless with suspenders with on. I'm like, come on. In a bathroom that has a chaise lounge in it. And, uh, yeah, that's like, oh, this, this cinema, guy dude. gets up to no good, I reckon. Yeah, this yeah. guy's a, a bit cheeky. A this cheeky man. guy likes a little company when he's it taking also... his number two. <laughs> it also made me want to be rich enough that I have like just a billiards room in my house and I can just go and knock a few balls around. I do love like a, a a scene of conflict or power balance shifting that's over a pool table. Uh, that's it. like yeah. a cinema trope I'm really into. Oh, Absolutely. I love that. I was very love- happy that it happened in Spencer recently. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. And Tom Cruise is no stranger to the pool table as well. He's the freaking color of money. He's, you know, oh, he's, yeah, dude. he's been there. He's done that. He, he knows his way around that green. He loves sinking those balls. That's what we always say about Thomas Cruise, Mapeth of the Force. He loves them. He does. Uh, <laughs> we should give another uh, another Oscar out here. I'd like to give one out to, in my opinion, the most Christmassy moment from this Christmas film. And that is at the very end of the film when the they're grappling with the realities and the unrealities of everything they've just discussed and they take their daughter Christmas shopping and she's walking around in blissful ignorance looking at all these toys she wants mm-hmm. and they look like they are the two most depressed and harried parents that have ever yeah. walked the earth. That brought back a lot of memories for me. I've, I really... I've. I've had a visceral reaction of remembering what it's like to be violently hungover in a shopping center. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, yeah, I'm right there. I can, I can feel my version of this. On Christmas, everyone's around. Everyone's wandering around. People are screaming at each mm. other, trying to get the last Turbo Man. Well, that's what, it, and- honestly, because it's the first time in the movie that we're in anywhere with low ceilings and fluoro mm-hmm. lighting. I was mm. kind of like, shit, we've just dropped into Jingle All The Way for a second here. We're just in a shopping center. I would be totally happy if there was another 90 minutes of this movie and it was just Jingle All The Way. They're trying to get this fucking toy for their kid. It's time we talk about our total reboot segment where we try and figure out how we would even reboot this movie. Oh, boy. I was trying to think around it. Like, what could we possibly do? And I think that the only way is, you know, a recasting. Like, what two movie stars in a relationship do you bring into this world? And I have notes. My- Oh, oh, I would okay. love to hear them because I've got a couple of ideas. But I want to hear it. your ideas. But I literally, because I knew we'd be doing this as I was watching the movie, mm. I was like scribbling as I was watching. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> we love this. <laughs> Who have we got? Who have we got in mind, Liv? Okay, so uh, so when the film started, this isn't what I think now, but I want to mm-hmm. talk you through my process. Oh wow! When the film started, I had the thought. I was like, oh. This is what Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac should have done instead of the reboot of Scenes from a Marriage. Wow. Okay. Yes. That then, is exciting. But then I thought, well, Oscar Isaac is quite like embodied, like comfortable mm. in himself and like quite, quite a sensual guy. And this, this is like a uptight and repressed figure. Um, so I don't know that he would actually be exactly right for this. Mm. And, then I, and then I thought about Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. And I also thought about Tobey Maguire because Tom Cruise's character is quite passive for a lot of the film. Mm. Like he does a lot of reacting to things happening to him, which is what mm. Tobey Maguire does in The Great Gatsby. Yeah, I love this. What about Toby and Kiki Kirsten Dunst? Hey now, <laughs> so Spider Man, Spider Man cast. Yeah, and uh, and instead of going to the masked ball. Toby Maguire goes for a night out on the town with Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. and the Pussy Posse and they go, yes. they go crazy through New York. Pussy Posse reforms. For her, for um, for Nicole Kidman's character, I also was thinking about maybe Betty Gilpin, Betty Gilpin or Rosamund <gasps> Pike. Yeah. Oh, I love both oh, of them. Oh, wow. I think they'd both be fantastic. I could see Rosamund Pike really nailing that. Oh, yeah. Those monologues I can hear in Rosamund Pike's voice. Yeah. That would be amazing. Uh, my thought, because I would, I, for me, the fascination of this movie is also like the dissection of a real marriage. So I would be fascinated if this was like a, if we made like a red table special and it was Will and Jada. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Wait, stop. <laughs> yes. And we just do it as a special, a special red table YouTube event, and it's just we just enact them on this journey. <laughs> That's incredible. 
they can talk about entanglements and all that other yeah. shit that went on. Well, That's you know, exciting. what is what is eyes wide shut if not just a series of entanglements? <laughs> a bunch of entanglements. <laughs> That's interesting. That is very interesting. So you both pitched great ideas. Live your idea was a feature film. Alexi, yours was a YouTube Red Table Talks feature yeah, length. It was a webisode. A webisode. It was a webisode. A webisode yeah. of Red Table Talks. The one drawback of mine is that, like, if you try to if you try to do like a traditional feature film reboot and set it now, then this film just becomes about a married couple on Fat Life, which is yeah. not as compelling. Yeah, I don't yeah. Think. No, no. I think it could only exist at the time that it was made. And that was maybe the last time that it could exist. Well, guys, that's it. We're at the end of our goddamn episode all about this Christmas crime classic Eyes Wide Shut. I have to ask you both, will you be adding it to the regular list of flicks that you pop on every December? I could. I would happily watch it again. You know, I can, I can see myself comfortably putting it on. I, I, and how seasonal it is. I was surprised by like how much of a feature that is of the film. Oh like, yeah, the, it's hugely it's, like it's just Christmas lights. It's just Christmas the whole lights movie. used so Christmas beautifully. Lights. And it like you know it being New York but filmed in England. Yeah. it's got like this kind of uh, like fairy tale quality of New York being corrupted. I think is so beautiful. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you guys. I'm gonna watch it. I, I want to watch it every year. I'm gonna pop it on after I watch. Deck the Halls and Christmas mm. with the Cranks and... And Harold and Kumar 3, the Christmas movie, of course. <laughs> it's going in the beautiful rotation of our favourite classics. Friday after next, Christmas in the Hood. All Krampus. the classics. Krampus. Oh, we love yes. Krampus. Home Alone 4, Holiday Heist. All the films <laughs> that I watch every year. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Liv. It was a true honour and a privilege to have you on our show. This was such a treat. Thank you. You've got Yellow Jackets streaming on Paramount Plus here in Australia. Hell yeah, we do. It'll be, it's the season will be wrapping up in a couple of weeks by the time this comes out. So jump on board now. Yeah, everyone should watch it. I'm fucking loving it. It's like hitting a real cross section of things that I love in my goddamn television. It's got, it's got a bit of Stephen King vibes. It's got a little bit of... Lord of the Flies vibes. It's got uh, a lot of Melanie Linsky, one of the yes. greats. Yes, love it's it. Got it all. So many greats in that show, including you, of course. Thank you. It's yes, gonna, it's gonna get talented. bananas. Do <laughs> yes. watch. I'm quite proud of it. <laughs> so the yellow jackets is that bananas? Because bananas, <laughs> yes, yes, in fact, do wear yellow jackets. Oh, we are plane crashes because it slipped on a banana peel. <laughs> oh, don't give a spoiler away. <laughs> it happens in the first ten minutes. You're fine. <laughs> and just got picked up for season two. Congratulations! That's we so did. awesome. Thank you. I'm very excited. Well, thanks so much for uh, for joining us, and um, we'll we'll see you in the future. Hell yeah! Thanks, guys. Merry Christmas. Merry God bless us, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for listening to us on Total Reboot, discussing the Kubrick classic Eyes Wide Shut. Next week on the podcast, we're closing out our Christmas crime miniseries, The Only Way We Knew Freaking How, dude. It was unavoidable. What's the freaking flick called, Cameron? Look, we talked at length about this movie. Are we going to discuss it? Are we going to mm-hmm. ignore it? How are we going to grapple with it? And we decided, you know what? The only thing we can do is to take off our shoes, take off our socks, strip off our shirts down to a little <laughs> singlet that gets muckier and dirtier every passing second, mm-hmm. and watch fucking Die Hard. We will be discussing John McTiernan's Die Hard classic action movie with a heck of a lot of sequels and a mesmerizing performance by one of the greatest songstresses of all time, mm. Bruno. Bruce we Bruno. Willis. We love you, Bruno. You're one of the most famous singers out there on the planet. Bruno, you scat like no other and you play the mouth harp like one of the greatest angels. Bruno, I have the return of Bruno on vinyl and I want to get the cover art tattooed full size on my back. Yeah, we got to get that matching back tattoo. (laughs) 
I'm excited to watch that one, actually. I'm really looking forward yeah. to talking about it. Uh, Me in- too. I did declare that we got to move past the conversation, but you know what? I'm going to admit it right now. I fucking love Die Hard. Of course, and it's the end of the year. Sure, <laughs> mm-hmm. we can move past the conversation, but we got to have the conversation first. Exactly. Good grief. Okay, so in the meantime, you can follow Alexi and I on social media, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Alexi is this is Alexi. I am I am Cameron James. Plus, if you want more from us, and why mm-hmm. the fuck wouldn't you, check out a little beautiful website over there called patreon.com forward slash total reboot. Yeah, over there you can really get... Really interesting stuff over there. And it's bonus content that you yeah. pay for. It's five bucks a month, and there's some really interesting bonus stuff in there. Well, one of the things that's on there is I saw The Matrix Resurrections this mm. week, and I gave Cameron... A hundred percent spoiler-free review. Yeah, it was largely an emotional review with no real revelations as for plot. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to see it. I'm going to go see it at the cinemas on Boxing Day. Wowza. Well, yes. hopefully you come gloved up because we are in the midst of a pandemic and PPE, personal protective equipment. That's what it stands for, right? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I've I never actually. Be. I've never asked. I never, never thought about it, but I think I'm right, Personal and I'm really proud of it. Protective, exciting. <laughs> Equip monk. Okay, <laughs> you got the equipment on, so be protected in there, Cammy. Yeah, you know I will. Is there anything else we need to plug before this episode ends? Well, of course, Cammy, you've got another podcast with Becky Lucas. It's very, very funny, the Becky Cam Hotline. So check that out as well if you have yet to do so. In the meantime. Check out Yellow Jacket starring our dear friend Lev Hewson. Yeah, I got to tell you, I, I said this already, but I've been watching it and I'm fucking loving it. I reckon it's sick. If you're into that kind of like Stephen Kingy stuff, I think you'll really get a kick out of this show. So check it out. Um, and you know what? Just have a nice Christmas week and uh, yeah. enjoy your time with your friends and family and um, set some traps around the house if you need yeah, to. Absolutely. Yeah. Protect yourself. Put nail on every step. Nail on every step. And if you want to and you see Santa Claus, try and scare him so he falls off your roof and dies. And then you have to become Santa Claus. Yeah. Or you could watch the remake, Home Sweet Home Alone, which I do discuss on the Patreon as well. For some reason, I did watch it. Oh, good Lord. All right. Happy Christmas. (laughs) 